Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Hey guys, if you have your Bibles, if you will go ahead and open up to Isaiah 9. So we're going to spend some of our time this morning. Um, Brief introduction first of who I am. I'm Kyle Hicks. Um, I'm a partner at Redeemer. I've been a partner for about six years Um, And I am married to Gretchen Hicks, and I have a little daughter named Libby who's upstairs right now. Um, Redeemer is family for me. I've been here for about 10 years, and every time I get the opportunity to stand up front, I want you to know that it's family. Um, I have grown up in this church. I have learned the gospel in this church. Um, This is a place that really laid the foundation of my faith, and so it is such a privilege and an honor, and I'm humbled to be able to stand up here and share with you this morning. Um, Bill already shared a little bit, but we're in a season of Advent, and so Advent is the season that we look toward Christ's birth. We look toward Christ's coming. Um, And I think the thing that I've learned the most this past week is that there is as much power in Christ's birth as there is in his death. There is as much gospel power in Christ's birth as there is in his death. Something else that I've learned, and this is just a deepened understanding, is that God is an amazing author and creator. He is so good at telling his story. He uses all of these little stories in the Bible to bring everything together, and he weaves this beautiful narrative through this whole book, and it is so cool to dive in. I've spent about 20 hours this week in this text and in some other texts in the Bible concerning this. And and man, I have learned so much. And you can never dive too deep. That's the beautiful thing about his word is that there is always something left to be unturned and unpacked. And it has came to life for me in uh, some beautiful new ways. Something else I know about uh, God and his word is that he takes his time. He takes his time to craft his story. He didn't rush, he didn't hurry. Sometimes we may wonder, why did God take his time, as much time as he did, to reveal his plan? And I think, this is my thoughts, I've heard some other people say this as well, but I think the reason why he takes his time is because he he wants to spare no expense in sharing his love to us. He spares no expense in, in us understanding the depth of how much he loves his creation. And that is the point of of the scriptures. And so this all culminates in the gospel. This all culminates in the gospel. And I've said gospel three or four times already, so I better define that a little bit and put some, some frame around that. And this is what I mean by gospel. I mean the good news of Jesus of Nazareth being the Messiah the whole Bible points to. I mean the good news that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the King, that the whole Bible points to. And so that brings us to Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7. And so first, let me give a little bit of a historical background of the text. First, we have Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet to the nations. He's a prophet to the nation of Israel. And so the prophet's role was to call God's people back to himself. 
That was the point of what the prophets did. And so they did this, whether it was through uh, bringing and shedding light on things that had happened in the past, whether it was through bringing and shedding light on things that were presently happening, or it was things in the future that were going to happen that was going to bring this to fulfillment. And so that's Isaiah. And that's the majority of what the prophets role was, was to shed light on the current situation uh, through the revelation of God. And so we also have Ahaz, which was a king of Israel. And so the kings of Israel, uh, they, these guys, they, they didn't get it right a lot of the time. And Ahaz, unfortunately, is one of those guys that did not get it right. He didn't, uh, he wasn't the king that Israel needed. He wasn't the king that 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 the whole Bible really points to. And so Ahaz was faced with a decision of who to trust for Israel's deliverance. Was he gonna trust um, Assyria, a nation, or was he gonna trust God? And like I said, unfortunately, Ahaz trusted Assyria for Israel's deliverance. And this ultimately led to the Assyrian exile. And so this is bad news for Israel. This is not where they want to be. This isn't the place where God intended them to be. You know, Israel thought they, they were a nation that thought that God wanted them to have a land in a place. And when they got taken from that land, that's basically like saying that they were no longer a people. And so it diminished their value and their worth. And so this was a really dark spot in the, the biblical narrative as well as in Israel's history. And so Israel was meant to be a nation that God would manifest himself to the world through. That was their purpose. He wanted them to be a, a light, a reflection of God's character and God's rule on earth. That was the point of their existence. The problem was, and I mean, most of us know this, but just to reiterate that uh, they continually messed up this covenant partnership. They didn't do a good job at being this people. Time and time again, we see in the story them, you know, doing something to trust something else, to trust a nation or an idol or whoever for their deliverance rather than God. And so this, this story that we're entering into in Isaiah 9 is a story that plays on repeat over and over and over again in the Bible. And so this leads to darkness and depression every time. This leads to bad news. Um, and so with that, I think that we see in Isaiah 9, and this brings us to this point in the text, is that God is not okay with leaving them there. God is not okay with leaving his people in darkness and oppression. That's the point of this next passage that we're about to read through. So let's go ahead and go to Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. This is uh, from the ESV. I loved that. Uh, the, the paraphrase that Bill read earlier. I think it really brought to light what this text is, but let's, uh, let's read here. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. 
to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So what we see in Isaiah 9 is that Isaiah bursts out into a poem about the peace that God is going to bring through a future king. He bursts out into a poem. And so this is what he says uh, in the first five verses. He says, out of darkness and, and oppression will come light and joy and abundance and liberation and the battle won. And then in verse seven, we see that this will be a kingdom that will never end. This is a kingdom that is gonna be established forever. And so this is what Isaiah is doing. So this, I'm saying that this is poetry. This isn't meant to be comprehensive. It's not meant to be exhaustive. Uh, it, I think what Isaiah is doing here is he's saying, this future king is gonna do all of these things and more. And this future king with the names is gonna be all of these things and more. And so I love it. It's so beautiful that out of this darkness, we are gonna have light and freedom and abundance and a kingdom that will never end. And so this brings us to verse six. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And so we, we're given a glimpse into how this king is going to come. We're given a glimpse into how this king is gonna come. And this king is gonna come through the most human of entries into this world. He's gonna come through birth. And it's easy to skip over that and not see the meaning and how beautiful it is that this is how this king is gonna come. You see, it's a paradox to what the world around Israel was, was doing up until that point. And you would think that if, if Isaiah was gonna write down something about this king, he would have envisioned him on a throne similar to how he envisioned him in Isaiah 6. But instead, he envisions him in a crib. He envisions him in birth. And this right here is so beautiful. It's, it is the opposite of the expectation of the world and what the world thinks is gonna happen through this Messiah. And so in this, we see the nature of God is revealed. The nature of God is revealed because he's vulnerable, he's transparent, and he's humble. This is the gentleness of God in this Messiah, that he's gonna push back the brokenness of the world by becoming brokenness himself. And so this is how this king is going to enter. And so this is where I really wanna focus in on today is his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. So you may notice, who is this wonderful counselor? I haven't really in, revealed his identity, right? This wonderful counselor, you probably guess is right, is Jesus, right? Like we know this. This is the Advent season. This is a, a, a point in Israel's story where it's looking forward to his birth. But the people in the writer of that day would not have known that. And so this is the, the revelation of who this Messiah is. 
And he is both, he is both human and divine. He is both human and divine. We see in Wonderful Counselor, wonderful actually translates out to be more like supernatural, or I loved amazing. And so we see even in this name, the deity of this king. And so this can't be just some regular king. This can't be a king that Israel uh, was used to. He is gonna be what those kings were by name only. He's gonna be what they were by name only. And so counselors, we've got wonderful, supernatural. Now counselor, what does counselor mean? It's defined in Isaiah as God's personal presence with us. God's personal presence with us. That is what he's talking about here. And many of us have probably heard Jesus called Emmanuel, right? And Emmanuel means God with us. Well, when Matthew quoted that from the Old Testament, he was quoting from Isaiah 7. He was quoting from the same stretch of scripture that we're reading from right now. And so we see, even though that Isaiah didn't use the word Emmanuel, he used it in the previous two chapters. And so he's pointing to the Emmanuel, God with us. And so this means helper, advocate, friend, God, really all of this and more. There's a a legal kind of connection, but ultimately I think it's so much broader than that. This is how I've, I've defined it. It's God's personal helping and guiding presence that is always beside us. God's personal helping and guiding presence that is always beside us. And so I wanna take a moment and talk about counseling in our culture. Um, Our culture has a tendency of saying when it comes to emotional, spiritual, or mental health issues, that we have to kind of deal with these things on our own. We have to be very self-reliant. We have to be very guarded. And, And it's seen as weak or inadequate if we admit that we struggle in these areas. It's it's not like you, you begin, if you have to seek out counsel, it's a bad thing, you know? I, I don't know if you've ever gotten that vibe, but I certainly have growing up. Um, and so it's built on this idea that we're supposed to be very self-reliant people. And in our culture, we're very self-reliant um, and, and don't really want to talk about things unless maybe we've already came through them or we're on the back end of them. But we have a hard time like seeking counsel in the midst of our struggles. And so in this, we're inevitably marked with a mental health crisis where so many people live with undealt with issues from their past, with undealt with mental health stuff going on in their life. And it's because we feel like we have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and be very self-reliant. And I know I'm, I'm speaking in the church. This is as prevalent in this room as it is out there. I know that. I know that because of my own life. And we live with our guard up because we're afraid of letting people see the real us. Because what will they think about us if they saw that? I think in many ways, kind of the way culture has has been driven by putting this best image of yourself out there all the time is, is part of what drives this. I have to put my best foot forward every day. I have to put my best foot forward on Instagram. I have to put my best foot forward in my job. I have to put my best foot forward in my family just to make it seem like I've got things working the right way. 
And we don't ever want to be seen as weak. And this is, and this, I mean, 100% think that, you know, God was showing me this this week. It is rooted in a fear of being alone. It's rooted in a fear of being alone or being lonely. I think one of the, one of the things that is true of all this that, that's underlining is we're one of the loneliest cultures on the planet. You know, we don't have a good sense of community, a good sense of family. Things are always divided and separate. And so let me, um, I want to share a little bit with you guys about my personal life. Um, I have an amazing father. Uh, he has been such an example for me of what it means to be a godly man. He gave his life to the Lord whenever I was younger. Um, and it was such a great picture. And I knew that he was there. You know, I knew that he was a solid rock that I could come to. But this is the thing. Um, my parents were divorced, and so we lived about two hours uh, from each other. And uh, with that, I didn't feel like my father was very accessible a lot of the times. Now, he would say that he was very accessible to me always. He would have always been there for me at the drop of a hat. But me personally, I didn't feel like he was accessible. I didn't feel like I could, I could go to him or lean on him. And so with that, I began to be very self-reliant. I began to learn how to put my guard up and, and, and be very guarded in my life. I didn't trust people. I had a hard time trusting people, even people that are close to me. And I still struggle with this today. Something that I realized, and I, I just realized this about a year ago in my faith. And I've been, I've been a Christian since I was 17. That was about, I guess, 11 years ago now. Is that I put that same feeling of abandonment that I'd received in my relationship with my earthly father, I put that same feeling on my heavenly father. I began to feel like, yeah, God's there. He's on his throne in heaven, but I didn't feel like he was very accessible to me. And with this, guys, like I, I've, I've worked in ministry longer than I've not. And, and with that, I did a lot of ministry in my own strength. I did a lot of ministry just trying to make it through the day and grind through, being people's saviors, getting it right, you know? And when things didn't go the way that I had hoped for them to go, um, I, I would feel very rejected by God. I would feel like I couldn't trust him, like he wasn't there, like he wasn't present. And that feeling was, drove me into a pretty deep hole a few years back. And I, I began to realize, okay, <laughs> and maybe some of you in the room have experienced this, that all of these situations are not going like I want them to in my life. And I began to realize the common denominator was me, not my circumstances. The common denominator was my heart. The common denominator was what was going inside here. And so I set that up for us to see that the Messiah Jesus is depicted the complete opposite way in the Bible. He's depicted as letting his guard down. He beca he's becoming human so that he can relate to us and be with us. Guys, I say relate to us. Jesus know what, knows what it feels like to be hurt by someone he loves. Jesus knows what it feels like to be lonely. He knows what it feels like to be left all alone. He knows what it feels like to be persecuted, 
There's not a thing that happens in our life that I don't feel like the Savior Messiah Jesus can relate to for me. And that is comforting to know that we have a God that knows what we're going through. And this, if, if anything, if you would take away this from today, I would be good with it, is that Jesus became vulnerable enough for us to hold him in our hands. And he wants us to become vulnerable enough to be held in his. Jesus became vulnerable enough to be held in our hands. And he wants us to become vulnerable enough to be held in his. And the culture around us is enemy of God's way. When we live with our guard up, when we live like we gotta figure it out all on our own, we have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, whether it's in our job, our family, our emotions, any of that, we are missing out on what God has for us. When we live with all of that baggage deep down inside of us that we're afraid to approach because we don't want people to leave us, we don't wanna be left alone, we miss out on what God has for us. Jesus is the personal helping presence that enables us to let our guard down and opens us up to receive his love. And so what does this mean for the New Testament believer? If you, if you uh, have your Bibles with you, if you'll turn over to John 14, uh, I'm gonna be looking in verse 15 through 24. we see in John 14 is this. This is Jesus's farewell message to his disciples. This is his farewell message. He's approaching the cross. He's literally sitting in the upper room where they just had the last supper and he is with them. And this is his farewell message before he leaves. And earlier in John 14, what we see is, is that Jesus says, I am the way to life. I'm the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so in his birth, we see him leading the way to life through vulnerability. We see him leading the way to life through, as Gina prayed earlier, by uh, becoming weak, by not considering equality with God something to be grasped, but making himself nothing. That's what it says in Philippians 2. And so he leads the way for us in this. And his wonderful counsel is this way to life. And he is a king who came to establish his kingdom. And this kingdom was meant to bring a new way of life for his followers, for me and you. He gives us access to a new way to live, to a new way to be human. And you can get in on this. This is something that I feel like I've missed a lot of in the past 10 years of my faith, that Jesus has a different way of living that is life. And it is countercultural to the way our world says we're supposed to be. There's two messages, and we all believe one of them on a daily basis. We all think that one or the other is gonna provide ultimately for what we need. And so here, um, you can get in on this. In John 14, uh, we'll start in verse 15. I want you to notice as I'm reading this, who all is present in this, uh, in this text? If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth 
whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. So we see John 14, and I want you guys to know that after I've read this time and time again this week, it's an invitation into this new way of life. It's an invitation for us, for his disciples, for his followers, into this new way of living. That's the point. And we see Jesus saying that he will give us another counselor. He's assuming that he was a counselor for a while, and now he's gonna give us a new counselor, And so uh, the same is true for us now. We have access to God through his spirit. Now the personal helping presence of God is for us through the Holy Spirit. But that's not the only person in this this verse, if you noticed while we were reading. Uh, This is a picture of the Trinity. You see the Father, you see the Son, and you see the Holy Spirit. And the, the number one thing that Jesus is concerned about is his disciples being alone. He doesn't want them to be alone. He wants to know that they will never have to be lonely again because of what he was gonna do. And that he, this community of love, this Trinitarian community of love is now for his followers, is now with his followers. And so now we have the helping of presence of God and, and, this, and this counselor that lives in us. But we also see, as I said before, that uh, the, the Trinity is alongside of us. And so with that, in verse 23, I just wanna focus in real quick. He says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come and come to him and make our home with him. We will make our home with him. God is a wonderful counselor that is our helping presence that is always alongside of us. And he desires to make his home in the lives of his followers and in the lives of community. And so we're invited into this communing relationship with God. I hesitate whenever I start talking about a relationship with God because I think that for me, I've bought into a completely wrong idea of what that looks like. I've made it very transactional. I've made it, you know, I, okay, God, I come to you in the mornings, typically, if I wake up in time, and if I do, you know, if I, if I get my day right, which is probably hit or miss, and I'm gonna spend some time with you, and then you're gonna give me what I need for today, right? It's kind of this transactional relationship, and it, it becomes these very, like, dutiful things that we're supposed to do, 
And I don't think that is what God intended for us to be in. I think that the practice of reading his word, like I'm reading his word now more in the morning than I ever have in my life. But I I want you to know that now whenever I approach his word, whenever I approach him in relationship, I'm not trying to achieve anything. I'm not trying to achieve. I'm not trying to get into the presence of God. He's already in me. You don't have to try to achieve this. If you are a follower of Jesus, he's with you. All you have to do is open up your hands and receive it. And so I read his word with zero expectation, with zero expectation. And I just come and I sit with him and I just wanna be with him. And then, man, if you, if you get a taste of that experience, you're gonna wanna take him with you throughout the day. You're gonna wanna keep that relationship going. It becomes something that instead of just being a duty, it becomes a life source. It becomes a way to connect with something deeper than yourself that provides for your deepest, and, and your deepest needs in your heart. And so I hesitate whenever I say personal relationship with God because I think that we've made that very one way and transactional in our culture. And that isn't what God intended. But this is the question. This is the question that matters most and is the hardest for us to answer. How do we receive God's love? How do we receive God's love? I would say we find ourselves in one of three camps. Maybe uh, you feel like you struggle to be vulnerable with God. You have a difficult time opening yourself up when you're spending time with him. Similar to how I have for the previous 10 years really approached my relationship with God is is that I'm just gonna hold this stuff in and I'm gonna try to deal with things on my own. But you know, maybe God, you're there, but you're not personal. You're not present with me. The second is that we're very, very vulnerable with God. We open ourselves up to him and we'll lay it all out there. We will empty ourselves, but we're not receiving his love back. And we find this to be very draining, right? It's like, here I am, I'm gonna pour myself out and then I'm just left there. And maybe, you know, I'm not a journaler, but I know that sometimes that in journaling, we have a tendency to write all the things that are going wrong and never exalt the things that God says is true of us right? And so maybe that is you, that you're a very vulnerable person naturally, but you struggle to receive his love for yourself. You still, at the end of those times with God, don't experience his love for you. And then third, and I think this is where God desires for us to live, and it's the full picture, is both vulnerable and receiving his love for us. That's what he wants. And so I have three simple things that I think this text says about that spending time with God. First, we need to let him in. First, we need to let him in. And we've been talking about this basically all morning, so I won't beat it over and over again, but Jesus paved the way for us to be vulnerable. He became small enough for us to hold him in our hands, and he wants us to become small enough to be held in his. And so with that, I have an illustration that I want to show you guys that is I think someone said this to me this past week, and I think, man, this makes this made so much sense to me. This isn't mine, um, but I, I think that this makes so much sense. This our, our mason jar is our heart, and oftentimes we view our relationship with God one of two ways. Sometimes we think that a relationship with God is holding up our jar and just letting Him see inside of it, 
letting him look at our heart, let him, letting him see the things that are there. And, you know, maybe this looks like we'll say a prayer of like, God, I'm really angry at this person. Help me not to be angry anymore. Or we just begin to scratch the surface with God. We're like, God, I know you're there, but I'm gonna deal with this stuff on my own that's going on in here. And I think this leads to just skimming the surface in our relationship with God. And what God desires is, is he desires for us to take the lid off and let him in. That's what he wants in your life. That's what he wants in your heart. Man, if you're dealing with a question of why God, ask him. He wants to be asked why. When things go wrong in your life, he wants you to spend time wrestling with him. I see that time and time again in the Bible, but we have bought into this idea that we're not allowed to question. We're not allowed to struggle, that we shouldn't have these issues. And this is completely cultural, <laughs> that we shouldn't, have, we shouldn't have to bring these things to God. But no, we need to allow him in to our life. And that is what real relationship looks like. Second, we keep his commandments. We see this in verse 15, 21, and 23. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will keep my word. This is an invitation into the way of love. This is where we get invited into this community of faith. It's as if Jesus were saying, if you love me, you will trust me. If you love me, you will trust me. And I know obedience is really hard for us to talk about in our, in our day and age, but he wants us to get in on this. I have a quick story on this that I literally, I went up to Tannery Knob this morning. I didn't expect the sun to rise like it did. That was beautiful. Um, but I went up to Tannery Knob and I saw the sun about to peek over some clouds. So I went up there and I was praying with God and he brought to my mind this there's another story about my dad, so sorry, dad. Um, but I used to play baseball. Um, I played all throughout Little League, and, and I, I loved baseball. I was kind of an emotional kid, and I had a very hard time with baseball. And my dad, I told y'all, he lived two hours away, and he would come down for some of my games. Might get emotional with this one. Um, and he would do similar to what he's doing today, which is sit in another section from me, um, because he didn't want to make me nervous. And he didn't want to make me nervous. And I would go up, I pitched most of the time. That was kind of my role on the team. And I would stand up on the mound and I would just want to make my dad so proud. And I, I realized this morning that I was doing that. Sorry, guys. That I was doing that out of a place of fear that I was trying to earn my father's love through being afraid of him, through wondering how he feels about me, not knowing how much he deeply loves me. And so, I was, you know, I'm preaching today. This is similar to the mound. You're up. I've got a ton of friends in the room that I love and have came out to, to support me. And in many ways, I, I realized this morning, it's like, Kyle, are you going to step up there in fear or are you going to step up there in love? Which way are you going to believe? And I realize now that through John 14, we see that God is inviting us into this new way of love. 
He's inviting us into something that's completely different. It's no longer our duty or our job to try to please him or make him you know, feel good about us or whatever. He already is there and we can work out of that place. And so I can stand confidently today knowing that my, my earthly father loves me, but my heavenly father loves me as well. It doesn't matter how I perform or all of those things that I can do this uh, joyfully, that I can have fun playing baseball, which was the thing my dad wanted the most from me, was just to have a good time, to not leave and be crying because I pitched horribly, you know? That's what he wants. He just wants us to have a good time and enjoy him. And so if we love him, we will trust him. Third, and my last point, so we've got, you've got to let him in. We keep his commandments. And then now we need loving community in our lives. We need loving community in our lives. Guys, you cannot love God and resist community. You cannot love God and resist community. They're polar ends. They're enemy of one another. God did not design us to live in a vacuum. He did not design us to try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and be the self-made person. That is always gonna be a dead end. And so we cannot love God and resist community. And God is a community as we see in this text, but as well, he invites us and wants us to be a part of that community. He created us for community. And community's hard. Community's tough. I'm a part of a small group at Redeemer. I love it. It has been such a joy. Um, sometimes we, get, we go in real deep and sometimes we're like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> we're just hanging out with one another. But it has been such an awesome experience. But I'll tell you what it's not. It's not ideal. It's not the ideal picture that I always think or whatever, and I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this very well. He said, don't let your dream of ideal community ruin the community that is. Don't let your dream of ideal community ruin the community that is. And so we need to let God in. We get to keep his commandments, and we need loving community in our lives. All of these things, in closing, are about what are you relying on? It's all about reliance, really, at its core. What are you relying on daily? What is the personal presence? Is it you? Is it your job? Is it your family getting it right or, or whatever? What are the things for you? Is it this relationship going well? What are you relying on for your joy, for your, for your peace, for that abundance that God wants to bring into your life? And so for me, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm, I'm I'm working ministry, all of that. I'm blown away by how many days I can spend an entire day without even going to God. And like, that's still true of me today. Like I still struggle with this reality, man. I've grown up so self-reliant. And so this is hard for me personally, you know? And so how often are you going to God? How are you relying on him personally? That's what it requires. He wants you to come to him. So with that, what is one step you can take into loving community with God and others? What is one step that you can take into loving community with God and others? Again, I say, and I'm just gonna reiterate, Jesus made himself a personal helping presence for his followers. And he wants to be your wonderful counselor in your life. In order to receive that, you have to let him in. 
That's what it takes. We have to let our guard down. I've, I found this scripture this week, and I'll, I'll close with this, is Revelations uh, 22. It absolutely blew my mind that this was the bookend to the Bible. Um, Revelations 22, verse 17. And I literally like started kind of tearing up when I read this because uh, you've not noticed I'm a little emotional sometimes. But uh, this verse is the bookend of the Bible. It ties the whole story together. It's incredible. I'm just going to let it speak for itself. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. That's what God's inviting us into. He says, come. He says, come to me. He wants you to be in that loving relationship with him and others. He's inviting you into this new way and ultimately he is gonna seal the deal. His kingdom is coming and it's gonna be good. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you just for the beautiful love story that you weave through the whole Bible. God, thank you that we are included in that story, that you are as alive and present now as you have ever been. And when darkness and oppression surrounds us in our society, in our world, when things seem like they're falling apart, you say you will bring light. You will bring joy. You will bring abundance. You will win this battle and that ultimately your kingdom will never end. And I thank you, Lord, that you did that through your son in him coming in weakness to shame the wise and to shame the strong things of this world. Thank you for becoming brokenness alongside of us, God. And Lord, we look forward to your next coming. Help us to live in this new way of life anticipating your return. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.